take your Bibles now and open them up. <laughs> you guys ready for a Bible study? Sheesh, man. Bible study. So fun. And the thing about the Bible is that it's, it literally, spiritually, is alive. It is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you apply yourself to know it, to learn it, there's something, I'll use the word magical because it makes sense. There's something magical that happens. It's really the wrong word. It's miraculous. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's unexplainable. What? And you who have read this portion of scripture before, you've read it before. We've all read this before. Like, oh, it's red letters. It's probably important. Better read it again later. I didn't understand a word that Jesus just said. And if you're humble enough, I was going to say humble like me, but that doesn't make any sense. If you're humble enough to admit, have you ever read the Bible and like, that's ah, Probably was good. I don't know what that meant, though. And as I've been studying this portion of Scripture, it's one of those portions you have to read three, four, five hundred times until you get it. But when you get it, you really get it. And you're like, oh, that's what he's saying? Oh, man, it's that simple? And I'm going to read to you the text from beginning in verse 28, where Jesus was interrupted. Actually, verse 27, he's interrupted in his sermon. A lady screams out. And he's in the middle of a teaching moment where Jesus says, if you would gotten in trouble. Okay, I don't know if this resonates with any of you people, but Jesus got in trouble too, okay, for doing good stuff. And he did something good and he got in trouble for it. And now he's explaining what's happening. And as he's explaining what's happening, some lady interrupts his sermon and he then uses that as a teachable moment. Every time Jesus got in trouble or was interrupted or anything went weird for Jesus at all, he used it as a teachable moment. It was an opportunity to not only teach and lead the people around him, but to recover and respond rightly. We could all learn from that. And as Jesus now continues this teachable moment, there are really two groups of people he's addressing. There were those that were convinced he was using a demon to cast out a demon. That is, they weren't impressed with what he was doing. They thought he was a scam. They thought he was a marksman they thought he was some kind of weird guy oh he's just oh yeah i've seen this before jesus is popular he's attracting crowds got lots of followers on facebook must be a phony and so jesus really you think you think i'm a phony you think this is fake and he went ahead and undid that logic there was another group of people though that saw jesus do what jesus was doing and their response was we want more just a little bit more and we'll be all in. Just do one more trick, just do one more thing, one more event, just, just one more and I'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, really, you think that's how it works? As if I've not done enough and just one more is gonna satisfy you. How many, how many of you guys have found yourself just, Lord, just one more, just one, just one more and then I'll, I'll go all in, I'll dedicate, I'll serve at the church, I'll go on a mission trip, I'll put this down, I'll pick that up. Just, Lord, show me that you love me. And the Lord's like, again, again? I can't, I, I, I've already shown you. And so Jesus now is addressing that group of people. I want you to see this. I'm going to read it to you because it's so important. Because Jesus loves you enough to invite you to church this morning. And he loved this group of people enough to speak to them the truth, even though it might have been offensive to them. Just so you guys know, at the front end, love isn't the absence of truth. Okay? Love is the very presence of truth embodied. Love. It's, it's truth. I could say I love you. But then if I don't speak the truth to you, I really love myself. I don't love you, I love me. But if I love you, I'm going to tell you, you got a booger in your nose. Okay? If I really love me, I'm just not going to bring it up. And I can say I love you, I don't want to embarrass you. No, no, you don't want to embarrass yourself. You're, I'm just going to, I want to, you know. But if I really love you, I'll pull you, I'll pull you, hey, you got a boogie right there, you need to deal with it. Well, thank you, thank you, so, you know. Then all of a sudden, when, you, when you're fixing your boogie, aren't you mad at everyone else in your life? Like, you didn't tell me how to boogie, you know. You know, I had, I, I've gotten in my car after a lunch meeting, and you get in, you look at yourself in the rear view, and you got a boogie and a thing in your tooth, you know. And you're like, Nobody loves me. They didn't tell me. And Jesus says, no, I, I'm going to tell you all your stuff. I see all your stuff, and he loves you. I need you to, I need, man, and I appreciate your laughter at the front. It's fun, but it really isn't easy. To, to get in people's lives. Say, no, no, you're, you got something wrong. And to hold on to them tight because they react. They get crazy. They get nuts. When you get in someone's life and tell them they got something wrong, like, I see this. And, they, and, and Jesus grabs on so tight. 
and he would do that for you. He does it for me. It's what his word is there for. And I'm going to be the first to admit it's scary when the Lord gets in and grabs you and says, hey, I'm going to tell you about your boogers today. Oh, <laughs> scary. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Well, let's read. Verse 27, good little context. And it happened as he spoke these things, he's teaching, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Of course, my mom's blessed. She does a great job. He's not discounting Mother Mary at all. But he is focusing our attention on those who hear God's word and do it. You see, Jesus had been speaking to the same crowd for about two, almost three years now. The same message. He hadn't deviated, or he hadn't changed it, or he hadn't altered it. It's the same message over and over and over. And you know how it is when you speak to somebody once, twice, thrice, maybe a long time, and they just aren't getting it. And so Jesus here is not frustrated because he doesn't get frustrated, but he is serious because he does get serious. And while this woman was right in her attempts to applaud Jesus' mom, Jesus said, no, wait. The big idea is to hear God's word and to then do it, to believe it, to actually believe it. Hearing God's word is pretty easy. It's on the radio. You've read it. We've all been to Sunday school. You know the truth. I would even so guess that your knower knows the truth, but to do it is a whole nother level. So then Jesus, taking this teachable moment, look at verse 29. This is where we'll begin our actual teaching today. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, <laughs> I like Luke, the author, He's very detailed. He's a doctor. He's, he's, he's a wordsmith. In order that we would understand what this was like, the crowds were thickly gathered together. This would be a time, by the way, if you wanted to be successful in your PR campaign, your public relations campaign, say something nice to the people. Hey, Jesus, look, a bunch of people showed up. There's so many people, we're going to use this weird word to describe them. Thickly gathered. They're everywhere. Jesus, don't say something dumb. His PR campaign manager, Judas, would say. Verse 29, and while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, <clears throat> this is an evil generation. Now, right there, all the disciples are like, no, you know, no. Who gave him that line? Who is editing this guy's speeches? You know, is this guy making stuff up? He's not reading the teleprompter, you know. Reminds me of someone. Anyways. Just, I don't know where that came from, but anyways. <laughs> Jesus says, he, he just, he sees the boogers. Jesus sees them in their nose. He's like, this is an evil generation. What? What did he, who's he talking about? Everyone's looking around. This is an evil generation. And he goes on to explain, and I'm going to explain to you as well. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given. Well, except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah, verse 30, became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The next sign, verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Those men, those men of Nineveh, they'll rise up in judgment with this generation and they'll condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus, again, responding under his own criticism from his peoples, continues to teach, continues to lead. Verse 33, no one, I've got that circled. He, he gets it. No one, you guys are crazy. You guys are nuts. Nobody does what I'm about to say. No one, when he's lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket. But when you light a lamp, you put it on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light goes on to teach the lamp of the body is the eye therefore when your eye is good that means working your whole body is also full of light your body responds to the light given but when your eye is bad that means your eye is broken you can't see the light that's right in front of you there's a light on and you're so blind to what's happening that it's not affecting you the way it is and it says when your body is also full of light but when your eye is bad verse 34 in the middle your body is also full of darkness it doesn't work therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. I mean, that's just a confusing verse if you don't know what's going on. Make sure the light that you have isn't actually dark. Okay, I'm going to have to drink some coffee and meditate on that one. You know. Jesus is saying, I am the light. I'm greater than Jonah. 
uh, I'm, I'm greater than Solomon. I'm the light of the world. All of this is happening. You just want a sign. No sign will be given to you. Well, except the sign of Jonah. That, that's a good one. I guess I could throw that out there. Well, and the sign of Queen of Sheba who came to see Solomon. Oh, and, and I guess the sign, the illustration of light and what it does. Jesus is so compassionate here. I'm not going to give you any more signs, but I will remind you of the signs I've already given you. And this is where it just boggles my mind. The patience of God towards the plight of humanity. He has labored and labored and extended and extended and sought and sought and loved and loved. And yet if our eyes are bad, that means broken, they don't work. Jesus, did you not see the light? I turned it on. Uh, Yeah, it didn't work. Well, did you not learn anything from the queen of Sheba? She traveled, heard, and received. It was easy. Have you not heard from Jonah and his plight, the men of Nineveh? They heard this guy's sermon. Jonah showed up there, and they heard him say, by the way, we'll talk about it when we get there, the crummiest sermon in the world. Worst sermon in the world, Jonah.com, okay? Worst one in the world. Jonah shows up, no love, no compassion, no heart, no forgiveness, no alternatives. Shows up, and his sermon is this. Yet in 40 days, y'all gonna be smoked. Okay, that's my version, but that's what he said. Yet in 40 days, you will all be overthrown. That was what he said. Okay, it's over. It wasn't like, do this or that will happen. It's like, no, this is happening. It's over. And then he turned around and walked out of the city. (laughs) And God's like, that was a pretty crummy sermon, but I'll use it. But I'll use it. And the whole province repented. Um, And and Jesus is now, this is the crazy, I just want you to capture what's happening before I teach it to you. Jesus is now not teaching crummy sermons. He's going crazy. He's going hard in the paint. Miracles, signs, wonders, teaching, teaching, love, love, prophecy, fulfillment, perfection, all of it's crazy. And the people are like, well, just, just prove something to us and we'll believe. <laughs> are you kidding me? The people of Nineveh believed when Jonah didn't even love them. And I love you. Jonah didn't love the people of Nineveh. He hated them. And I'm here loving you extending my, my, my ministry to you. And yet you guys are accusing me of being a phony, the first group, and you're asking for more. And Jonah says, those men of Nineveh, which is crazy, just ponder this to you who have faith. He says, on the judgment day for non-believers, the men of Nineveh will be there as a witness. And they'll point at people who've had the light given to them, who've had the word, who've had the testimony, and have rejected it, the men of Nineveh will say, you're guilty. You're guilty. The men of Nineveh are going to be on the panel. Sheba will be there. The queen will be on the panel. She'll say, oh, I showed up. I asked some questions, and I heard what I heard, and I just believed and went home. My life was changed forever. And Jesus calls those two witnesses, historical figures, biblical understandings. And then he uses this illustration of light. He says the light works, unless your eyes busted up. Unless your heart is darkened, your whole body is darkened. And Jesus, everywhere he would go, is just turning on the light. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And actually in John chapter 3, which is where I'll end the sermon, if we ever get there in an hour and a half. I kid. John 3. Jesus said, this is the condemnation. I didn't come to condemn the world. John three seventeen. I didn't come to do that. The condemnation is that the light has appeared. And that men don't like the light, but rather they love darkness. They don't like the light. They don't like the truth. They'd rather just make stuff up. They'd rather not believe this simple message of Jesus Christ that I am greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah. I am the light. And yet how many people, maybe you're a rebel here this morning. Maybe you're a rebel at heart. I don't know. This whole God thing. Organized religion. (laughs) Scam. It's phony. It's crazy. Or this Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. You don't have the rights to say that and you're a rebel you're pushing back and yet you would believe you would believe you'd go all in you'd repent from your sin you'd become a part of the community you would change your ways if you know what if you would just do something for me if you would just you know change my life if you would give me what i need and the lord would look at you this morning like he did these guys and say what 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 more can i give that i have not already given and for you who are rebels watching online or here or you who are believers and you still like to rebel got this little rebellion in your heart this little protected area and i think that would be kind of all of us as a matter of fact if i ask you to raise your hand if you're a rebel 
you who are rebels would not raise your hand. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't raising my hand. I ain't a rebel. And the rest of you are rebels, but you're at least, you know, you know honest, honest rebel. And so I want this message to be applicable to not just the rebels who aren't believers, but I think the majority of us who are believers, but are just re- we're just rebellious against the simple teachings of God's word, the promises, just the edicts, the things that he says to do and don't do. It's just so simple. He's not, it's not crazy. And yet we like to argue, well, I don't know if I really want to give that up or I want to confess that or deal with that or commit to that. You know, I would though if it was just a little brighter, just one more neon sign along my pathway. Just one more thing. If the Lord would write it in the sky, I would for sure eh, that. I would for sure eh, that. And just fill in the blank. And the Lord's like, what are you talking about? I, he, he's gone to great lengths. And so I want this to be very applicable to people who are like the crowd where this was preached originally. That were attacking Jesus. They actually didn't like him. They were trying to find something wrong with him. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. He's like, okay, let's talk. But I don't think that's the majority here. I think the majority here love Jesus. They really do. They're like, oh, I want to do this right. I want to do this right. This is cool. I, yet you're saved. Ah! Now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that then is the lifestyle of sanctification and maturation where God deals with us and grows us and shows us what he wants us to learn on the daily. So all that being said, that was introduction. Sorry about that. Let's pray. <laughs> and study. Jesus, we love you. We need you. Thank you for your word. I pray in Jesus' name, no matter what I say next, Lord, that you would use it to your glory and the edification of the body, to the equipping of the saints, that we would be those, Lord, who are not pretending or playing or who are fooled or who are tricked, but instead we are those, Lord, who are engaged in the things of God, who are working and waiting and watching in your harvest, who, who are willing to let you call us out on our boogers, willing to let you get into our lives who are thankful when you point out our rebellion and our, our sinfulness. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, I do ask for help, Lord, in unpacking this scripture. This is red letters. This is the word. And I ask God that you would anoint it. Thank you that it's what you do, and it's your will, and it's for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I began reading in verse 27. The story actually begins in verse 14, where it says Jesus was going along his way and healed a man with a demon, cast the demon out. And as soon as he did that, ministered to one guy, he gets attacked by two groups. One group says he's a phony. The other group says do something else and then we'll believe. Two separate groups. And it's interesting when you try and help somebody out, how sometimes it goes good and sometimes it goes bad. Jesus just sees a guy in need, gets in his life, helps him out, and all of a sudden he's in trouble. It's been said before that no good deed goes unpunished, okay? And when you try, can I just, when you try and help somebody out, when you try and get in their life, whether it be your spouse, okay, your kids, your neighbors, your life group, your pastors, your community, your friends, two things. Number one, that's right. Good job. We're out here to help each other. We're here to point out the boogers in each other's lives with love and grace and compassion. We're here to, that's what we need. I can't see my... My boogers, can you? You You know, you guys can. I can't. That's how it works. I can see yours too, by the way. You know what I'm saying? It's right. But it also can bring upon you scrutiny and attack and confusion. Anytime you try to reach out to somebody who's hurt or who's sinning, and this is it's it's a description of full-time ministry. When you're in the ministry, you're helping people put their fires out, and oftentimes they come to you willingly and they say, our house is on fire. You know, ah, and they, they willingly receive the help. Other times, we can just see the smoke billowing out the windows of homes, and we help them. And Jesus here models what I believe is a good response to being attacked when reaching out to somebody else. He makes it a teachable moment, okay, an opportunity not to grow bitter and weird and mad at others, but instead to teach them. And I would say this, most of life's valuable lessons, you guys like learning valuable things? Here's the bad news. Most of life's valuable lessons are learned under a time of pain and difficulty, a time of scrutiny, a time of negative. There's usually a negative charge going through our lives when we learn great lessons. It's just the way it is. So if there's something negative in your life or you got a booger, you know a friend with a couple boogers or, you know, I should stop using the illustration. I'm going to say boogers all day. We'll call it something else, okay? A blind spot. It's called a blind spot, okay? We'll change, change it up. Erase the tape. 
<laughs> well, Jesus here draws two camps uh, of division against him. And uh, one, one was just mad. Just, you know, you, you, you can't just say what you want to say. You're working for the devil. We don't really believe in, in all of that. And the others, though, wanted uh, more to be satisfied with Jesus. And uh, I, uh, Jesus then looks to the crowd. And I wonder what the disciples thought of the crowd, because everyone has different opinions of crowds and success. And here Jesus has a bunch of people, and as I already mentioned in my opening uh, segment, that this would be a time not to say something really dumb, okay? Not, not to offend everyone. Let's make sure everyone feels loved and cared for. And there's all kinds of opening words that I, as a pastor and a communicator and speaker, and I visit at local churches, and I've never used this opening line at a visiting church, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, everyone, you guys are all evil, you know? It's like... I just don't, they're not going to invite me back. Usually I say something like, it's great to be here, you know, and you guys are looking good, and Jesus could have said that. He could have said, you know, it's so good to be back in Galilee, you know, it's been a while, or wherever he was. Truth, though, truth is love, okay, and love is truth, and Jesus loved crowds, but not in the way that maybe you or I would think of loving a crowd. See, there's an unhealthy way of loving a crowd. I mean, I just love the crowds. There's so many people. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, I'm awesome, uh, you know, okay, well, no. Jesus saw the crowds, he said, I love you guys. I love this crowd so much. Not the size of people and the amount of people, but that it is people. And I love you so much, I'm gonna give it to you how it is. I'm gonna give you the medicine. Because it's not the numbers I'm after, it's the souls. Because every soul counts for that number. And so Jesus gives them what they need to hear. And if you could just settle into this as a mom or a dad, as a coach or a, a leader in the community, I'm telling you what, if you can with love give people what they need to hear, oh, man, the whole, we would be better. We would, I've had men and women over the years give me exactly what I need to hear, and I don't want to hear it all the time. I rarely want to hear it. But in love, in love, holding my hand, bringing it close so I don't spaz out and freak out, I love you. And when people tell you what you need to hear, this works with spouses, creating that relationship of accountability and trust okay confession and forgiveness grace and mercy right there's communication in our weakness it, it, it works in families it works in life groups and churches but we live in a really weird society do we not we're ultra sensitive everyone's entitled to their own opinion as long as their own opinion is also my opinion and if it's not my opinion we're not friends anymore you know and i can block you on facebook and i won't look at you in the gr grocery store and it's just we live in a weird world And yet we need to create this accountability with one another, like, like Jesus shows. He could have just placated to the crowd and been nice and attracted to following, but instead he told them how it was. And Jesus gave them the truth. Now let's just look at verse 29. I want you to get this because I can talk out of both sides of my mouth if I'm not careful, but there is truth to verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. Stop right there, eyes up here. Why were the crowds thickly gathered together in the first place? It's for the same reason that they would be mad at him in the second place, because he spoke the truth. The reason Jesus Christ drew crowds is because he gave them the truth, and nobody wants to be lied to, okay? If I were to poll you all, how many guys appreciate a little white lie from now and then, you know, from your spouse or from your employer, just towards you or your government? Anybody, like, appreciate a little white lie just to make things better for you that day? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> nobody wants to be lied to, even if the truth is offensive. When you go to the doctor... And they pull out the CT scan, the CAT scan. They're looking at it, and the MRI. And your doctor starts to scratch his nose and his beard. And he calls in the specialist, and they're looking at it. And they bring in some other people, and they make some phone calls and all. And you're waiting, watching. And then they're done, like, well, looks good. <laughs> what do you mean it looks good? What was all that crazy stuff? You guys were going crazy. We don't want to mess with you. You know, it's a sunny day out there. Just go get a latte. You'll be fine, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. Call those people back. I want to talk to them. You with your doctor demand the truth. It's as brutal as it could be. I want to know. Run another scan. Run another one. Run two. Run three. It doesn't matter. I want all the truth. And God knows that that's what we need spiritually. We need the truth. And here's the beauty of it. We actually need to be shown the truth in love. Adam and Eve are our parents there in the Garden of Eden, totally blowing it, making mistakes. God just asking them a simple question. Where are you? God didn't lose his kids, okay? That's not the, the implication. The implication is just Adam and Eve needed to know where they were through truth and this question and answer. Well, we're hiding. We're hiding from you right now. How did you know we're hiding? Well, because I made the bush here behind you, dummy, you know? And... <sighs> Let me just simplify what I'm trying to say. The crowd around Jesus was because Jesus gave it to him straight. 
eventually that's going to be what drives Jesus to the cross because they can't handle it. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And I believe that when a person seeks to walk in the truth and to present the truth and to love the truth, that God will honor that man, that woman, that ministry. There will be pushback and there will be controversy even within our own churches we stand for truth as we make every goal and every effort to stand on God's truth in various subject matters in today's society we're going to stand on the truth and there will be more people I promise you a thicker crowd of people saying that's that's good stuff right there that's the truth thanks for taking a stance thanks for doing that even though it's unpopular even though it's you fill in the blanks and I would just say for all of you who are leaders and businessmen and women Make that what defines you. It says in verse 29, the crowds were thickly gathered together because Jesus gave them the truth and your knowers know when it's true. God's given you discernment. I've been in circles. I've heard teachings before. I'm just like, I don't know if that's true. I don't th- and the crowds don't grow. And I peel, I bounce out. Well, Jesus here had this crowd and he could have done a couple of things. And instead of loving himself and the crowd, he loved the crowd enough to call them out on their present situation. He said, you guys are evil. You're an evil generation. He goes on to underscore why that is. It wasn't arbitrary or generic. You guys are seeking a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And then he goes into a gracious teaching. I need to just address this idea, though, of confrontation quickly. Because it's one of the lost arts in our culture, being confronted, being disciplined, being held accountable. We, just, we don't like it. We would rather find a group that would identify with us and say, what you're doing is just fine. Don't worry about it. Just fit in. You and three other people, you all agree the same. You, might, you found your own crew. You know, here's your, here's your new club. And uh, instead, the Bible says, no, there, there's, there's truth. And it's not going to change. It's not going to adapt to 2018 standards. And so Jesus says, no, you guys are evil. And he gives it to them straight. And I would just ask this question. How do you handle personally rebuke, correction, teaching, how do you handle that? And I ask because I think you're probably an American like me, and you're like, oh, nobody can talk to me like that. You, know? <laughs> you, know, you can't tell me what's uh, that's true for you, but not for me. And with all these crazy ideas in our culture, and Jesus here, instead of just rubbing their shoulders, says, no, I'm, I'm here to love you with the truth. You can write this down. Hopefully most of you know it, at least by reference. Hebrews 11, it tells us that when we're chastened or disciplined or rebuked, it's because the Lord loves us. This is a crazy concept. You need to take this to the bank, husbands, wives. That if you feel rebuked or challenged based on your own rebellion and stance, it's because God loves you. He says, I'm not going to let you get away with that. I love you too much. This morning, and I hate to talk about my kids too much. I actually don't hate to, but I love to, but I'm probably going to get in trouble for it one day. But this morning, 6.30 a.m., the kids are playing Connect Four. 6.30 a.m., pray for my family, you know, and connect four and it's like a war like you know there's like rock paper scissors and who's color and who's winning and who's setting it up and it's just like tournament style you know and it's like blood sport you know it's intense and i'm trying to just bring the peace like hey you guys are off your friends you know and i had to like referee for like probably 27 games straight while i'm reading and studying and praying you know going over my notes and and as i left the house i i, I realized that i had probably laid into noah my 10 year old the firstborn, kind of the control guy he knows the most he's got the most skills under his belt he can control and manipulate things the better than anybody in the house and so i realized i was kind of just you know laying into him all morning so i grabbed him before i left and i just kind of had a five minute in his ear hugging him recommitting myself to him say hey we're a team you're you're my best friend i love you I love you, and I'm, I'm trying, and I pointed at his head, and I said, you have a very smart mind. You're, very, you're a very smart kid, and I'm very proud of you. And I said, and, and then I grabbed his chest, and I said, and this is where your character is. This is who you are as a man. And I began to pour into him and just kind of underscore my commitment to him that I wouldn't leave to go to church and him just have this sour taste in his mouth. But dad's a jerk, and dad's always riding my case, and dad doesn't want me to win at Connect Four, you know, whatever the case is, you know. <laughs> But I love my son too much okay, to just let him not be rebuked or chastised. Those are strong words. We don't like those words, you know. And obviously they have a connotation that needs to be double-clicked and underscored. Hebrews chapter 11. God loves you. He's going to pull you aside. He's going to grab you. He's going to touch your chest. He's going to say, right here's your heart. This is what I'm working on. This is what's going on right now. Uh, you know, but it feels uncomfortable. I know, I know. 
I know. But I love you, and I am absolutely committed to you. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to say that it's, discipline is not joyful. Okay, it's very honest. And it goes on to say in Hebrews 11, but it's painful. Then in verse 7 or thereabouts, it says, Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So here's my question to you. Have you been rebuked by the Lord? Has, has, he, got in your, has, he, has he called you out? Here he says, you're an evil generation on purpose. He didn't have to say that. He could have just gave them love masked with lies. But instead he gave them love open with truth. This will change your life, by the way. I'm, I'm teaching my kids. I'm teaching my kids. I'm teaching my kids what God's teaching me. Can I be completely honest with you? That when my kids get in trouble, which is like every four or five seconds, <laughs> I'm teaching them a, a trick. It's a life hack. I said, here's a life hack, Noah. When you get in trouble, you get called out for having an attitude or, you know, you know whatever. Here's a life hack. When you respond to, to my voice saying, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. Got it. We're done. Okay. We're back to square one. You are out there playing games again. We are, the, it's the conversation's over. Great response. That was amazing. But when you rebel against the voice of correction, minimize, justify, explain away anything that you've done, then we go into extra innings. We, we go to the next round of discussions. And I said, if you ever, no, if I say, hey, don't, don't talk to your sister that way. Oh, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. You got my back. Sorry about that, Acacia. We're moving on. Ice cream for everybody. Woo! But if there's a pushback to being called out, there will, it, it just goes to the next level of discussions. And if you and me would learn that when the Lord says, hey, that's an issue, to just say, oh, thanks for holding me accountable. I really appreciate that. Immediate grace, immediate mercy, end of discussion. We're done. It's over. We're, don't work. It's, we're moving on to the ice cream store. We're going to the ice cream store. But, but we don't like to be rebuked. We like to be right. We like, we like to be sufficient. And you almost need to just wake up every morning and say, Lord, search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Sound, sounds kind of biblical. And, and Lord, you know, put your light in me. Let, let your light hit my eyes and help, me, help my eyes not to be broken. And me to make up my own story along the way. When you read the word, ah, looks pretty clear. I wonder what he means there. Huh, I'll have to read a commentary later. <laughs> you know what it means. You just read it. Well, I, you know, not quite sure. I'm going to call a lawyer and see if that's legal. Love my enemies, you know. <laughs> Rebuke is a blessing. Okay. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy to give. It's not easy to receive. And I've been on both ends. Received rebukes. Men older than me, wiser, pull me aside. Show me the facts. Here's what's going on. Here's what we see. <gasps> you see that? How did you get a list of all my boogers? Thank you. As they pull me in, as they pull me in and say, oh, we love you. This is why we're having this conversation. This is why we're here. One time I was up at Camp Malibu up in Canada, Young Life Camp. And there were three campers. One of them is now a pastor here. I don't want to embarrass him, so his initials are Pastor Bo. There were three campers that had brought drugs and alcohol along with them as campers to this camp. And the word had got out there in Malibu that the Newport cabin had some paraphernalia and the leaders of the camp found out. So they came to our cabin that night and the word on the street was they were going to come and search everyone's bags and turn the place upside down and get after us. So those three campers threw all their stuff away. They hid it on the island up in Canada. They got rid of it, you know, no evidence. These two men who ran the camp came. They opened the door, and they didn't look at, through anything. They stood there in the cabin and told us about Jesus. They told the whole cabin about Jesus, about his love, about his plan, about the battle of sin, about the opportunity of grace and forgiveness, about all the things that God wants to do. It was early in the, the week up there. They just gave us grace and mercy and truth. They said that they had heard reports of what was happening in our cabin, and they laid it all out there in truth and said, if you guys want to deal with this, we're going to leave now. And you need to find us, and we'll deal with this the way it needs to be dealt with. God bless you guys. And these two dudes left, and we were like, what was that? 
And these three campers that had the stuff that needed to deal with the rebuke, one by one got out of bed, about midnight at this time, put their shoes on, shorts, whatever. One by one they left, and they were gone with these two leaders, seeking Jesus and repentance, reconstruction, for about th till three in the morning. And they came back, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They gave their lives to the Lord. It was miraculous. And that week there at Camp Malibu, changed all of our lives and the trajectory of our service to the kingdom forever. But it happened through two dudes who came in who were, oh, man, you think they wanted to do that? You think they wanted to come into the Newport cabin and say, hey, there's a, apparently an evil generation in here, you know? <laughs> apparently. So we, you know, no leader wants to do that. Ah, ah, ah. How do you handle rebuke? You just need to pack it away. It's love. It's love. It's God's grace for you. And, and your kids need this gentle rebuke. Your, your spouses need this, this rebuke in love. Okay? This, isn't, this isn't an open-handed chastisement. That's nothing that Jesus demonstrates. He with love pursues those who have blind spots. And as a matter of fact, I would say this. Real, real love, I've said it already, but I'm going to say it again. Real love doesn't cover each other's blind spots and leave them undealt with, okay? That's cowardice, and it's actually self-preservation and self-love. I just don't want to get, I don't want to offend them. And God forbid that we live in a society that is so kind that we don't want to be offensive. And you offend people, and you, and you, you seek to then live non-offensive lives all the way to the point where I'm going to be nice to you so much that you actually miss the exit. You didn't turn your blinker on. You went right past heaven. You missed it. And I don't want to offend you. I don't want to tell you you were out of control. You don't, I don't want to tell you this. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I really don't enjoy calling people up. Hey, can we have coffee? I need to talk to you. Hey, can I take you out to lunch? I need to talk to you. I, I don't enjoy it at all, man. And so I need the Lord to show me how to walk with you and how you need to walk with me, holding each other accountable in love. This is what, this is what Jesus is doing. He didn't have to call him evil. He could have just been, man, you guys are awesome. Thanks for having me, you know. But he didn't. He gave it to him. Let's, let's keep going. Otherwise, we're going to run out of time here. I think we're still in verse 29, though. That's incredible. <clears throat> this is an evil generation. And then he goes on to say why. He doesn't just, you know, throw out negative comments. He says it seeks a sign. And uh, let's just be honest, though. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, because I want to, you know, rebuke you guys in front of everyone. How many of you guys ever sought a sign, though, in your journey, you know? Like, th th don't use this text to demonize the seeking of a sign at any given point in your life. Okay, we've all looked for signs, confirmations, God's work. We, we've all looked for, you could even not be looking for signs, and all of a sudden you're like, dude, that's a total sign, man. Like the way we met here and the way that happened, and I was driving, I was thinking about you, and I look over there, you are? Like, that's crazy. That to me, that's just a sign. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? The problem is, is that this generation already had adequate evidence offered to it. They had enough. Okay? There was enough. The jury was out. There's plenty of stuff on the table. And they're like, well, we just need a little bit more to make a decision. He's like, no, I've given you so much. And I'll, I've asked for a sign, Lord, if, you know, this and that. Would you just let that streetlight come on right now? Lord, I'm going to count to 10. If within 10 it comes on, you know, Lord, I'm going to count to 100. Okay, I'm going to give you a lot of window here, and you're counting. And we've all, maybe we've all done that. Lord, give me a sign just to help me along the way. Here's the deal. These guys, they had the word of God in the Old Testament. They had the person of God in Jesus. They had the Holy Spirit confirming and signs. They had everything. Everything afforded to them. And Jesus knew that he'd already given to them enough to understand what the message was. They had a couple issues. As a matter of fact, they had shallow faith. They, they didn't believe the clear word that had been given to them. 
they didn't believe in Jesus at all. And I have looked for signs and I've asked for confirmation in making big decisions. The danger here, listen, Christian, is when you want a sign to prove the sign that he's already given to us in the word of God, the promises of God. Do you know the promises of God? You know what he's declared for you? Who he is, what he's done, where you're going when you die, how he's working all things together for good, how he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and graces, how he causes all things to work for you, how no weapon formed against you shall prosper, how he's going to finish the work he began in you, how if you cry out for wisdom, he'll give to you liberally and without reproach, how he, he in you is greater than he was in the world. All the promises of God. You're like, well, I just don't feel good today. Lord, would you just show me you're going to be here with me today? Just give me a sign. Just let my kids sleep till nine. Just, you know. <laughs> or Lord, would you just show, would you just you know just show me your goodness, Lord? Would you just give me a parking spot in the very front there at Fred Myers? Just a, just show me your goodness, Lord. You know that just shows how good the Lord. You know the Lord gave me a parking spot. He's so good, really. A parking spot. The Lord's good because He gave you a parking spot. No, the, the Lord's good because the Lord's good. He's already declared it, and that's where the evilness comes in, where we want the Lord to prove to us what has already been proven and paid for. I love Jesus' graciousness. He says here, again, in verse 29, it's an evil generation that seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it. There's no pause there, but if you want to just kind of elongate it and kind of mess with the scripture a little bit, no, no sign will accept, and then he gives three signs. Not because he changed his mind, but because there's three signs that were already there. They wanted a new sign. He's like, no, no new signs. And by the way, in case you're tripping, I'll just give you the three I already gave you. It's the sign of Jonah, the sign of Solomon, the sign of light that does what it does. And then I get excited and start yelling. So that's not how Je Jesus was so compassionate, even in the midst of this rebuke. You guys want new stuff? No, there's no news. You have enough. And he goes on to then explain these signs. And by the way, let me just ask you this question. You who are uh, maybe critics or who maybe a little more immature in the faith and maybe are thinking this. You know what would actually help with my non-believing dad? A sign. I'm going to be honest with you, Pastor Luke. My dad actually said that. If, if, if God would just prove to me that, that he's real, I just need a sign. And somebody here, maybe a lot of people here, are like, dude, I, I kind of, I think signs would actually be effective. I think if I had the power to do stuff, people would believe. I think if there were more signs, wonders, and miracles, more people would believe. This is a common thought, and you might even be thinking it right now. Like, what's the problem with a couple of signs? Jesus, in this context, had been doing that. and would ultimately get killed for it. Throughout the history, there has been signs and wonders for God, and there has been generations rejecting God. The Bible actually warns Jesus' words, Matthew 24, by the way, guys, he says, in the end, there'll be people that are doing signs and wonders, deceiving even the elect. Signs and wonders aren't what you want to look for, necessarily. As a matter of fact, I had this friend in Bend. That's not true. His name was, I'm not going to tell you his name. I had this friend in Ashland. He's still my friend. And I remember one day walking down the street, and he saw me, and he ran out of this coffee house. He said, Luke, you got to come to such and such church tonight. I said, well, why? What's going on? We're having an evangelist there. It's a revival. It's crazy. This is the third night in a row, and he's lining people up. And I'm an usher. It's so, so excited. I'm an usher. I stand behind the people. He prays for them, slays them in the spirit, and I catch them and lay them down. And I'm thinking to myself, that's crazy. I'm not going to go to that. He's like, why, why not? I was like, I, I don't, this church, by the way, doesn't teach the Bible. They just are into signs and wonders and miracles and all of this stuff. And I just tell this story, and you can pick whatever side you'd like. But this particular person who was the usher, catching people, catching, he was excited. I didn't go. He now, to this day, is an agnostic atheist in Ashland. And I think to myself, wait a minute, you were there, man. You saw the glory, the power. You know, you were, and how did, and I don't know his life circumstances and all the rest, but evidently the signs and wonders that he was so excited about wasn't as satisfactory as what I would say is the scriptures and the declarations and the proof that's already here. Now in my flesh, I, you know, if someone says, I'm going to do a miracle, we're going to do something crazy, I'm, okay, you know, give me some popcorn, it's going to be fun. Jesus, if you think signs work, Jesus would have done it. He said, okay, we're going to do chicken feathers from the air. Just, you know, everyone's going to start barking like a dog and rolling around like a weirdo, and you're going to wake up, and your dental work's going to be done, you know? How about that? How about that? Why didn't Jesus do that? 
because it wouldn't work. Not for true saving faith, not for life-producing faith. And by the way, signs and wonders not from God in churches today do exist. Signs and wonders not from God on all four corners of the earth do exist. There is weird stuff happening. Sai Baba and miracles all over and gurus and Hindus and people doing stuff. Sai Baba could grab a jar, empty jar, and put it on his hand, spin it around, nothing in there. Ash start falling out of this jar, piling up all around him, demonic powers. Signs and wonders aren't what's going to really give you what I would call lasting or saving faith. Jesus will, though. I mean, just process this for you who are thinking this through. Jesus could have had the opportunity to just knock it out of the park. You want to see some crazy stuff? <laughs> you know, just crazy stuff? No. <laughs> Whoa. And by the way, you're evil. <laughs> what? Come on, man. Calm down, you know. Right then, all the 12 disciples are calling, like, the evac, you know, come get us, come get us, you know. It's over. We're out of here. <laughs> We're going to get killed and eat wood. But he did give them these three signs. Let me just help you to understand these three signs. Number one, the sign of Jonah and, and the Ninevite men. You guys know Jonah's story. I'm not going to go into it. We taught through Jonah a couple years ago. You can go to iTunes.com and type in South Beach Church and get the whole Jonah series. Really insightful. Jonah. And Jonah was called to the children of Nineveh. That is the Assyrian nation. I don't have time to go into this, but let me just tell you this. The Assyrians were the worst. Historically, the, the Assyrians who lived in Nineveh at that time, the Assyrians were the most cruel and historically go down in history as the most cruel nation to exist. The way that they would torture their captives, destroy their enemies, makes all of the modern history that we've seen with Stalin and Hitler and all of this crazy stuff look like amateur hour. And you can just study it. I actually can't tell you the ways that they would kill their victims because it's too graphic. I could give you a few insights of how they would do this. They would peel the skin off their victims and put hooks through their jaws and lead them through the desert and then put them in barrels and they would make sure and feed them daily and keep them alive as long as possible while their bodies decayed and suffered with... It just goes on and on and impaling and they actually devised a way to impale a person from their backside up through their spine in such a way where it would move the organs from side to side, not causing internal bleeding so that way the person could live for days days and weeks and even months on a pole. Like, let's make sure not to kill him. So that way, I say that to say this. God tells Jonah one day, hey, see those people in Nineveh? They need a Bible study. <laughs> Their boogers have piled up quite bad. They are out of control. And Jonah said, come again? You want me to go where? I will not go. And now we kind of resonate. Jonah, why would you want to go to Nineveh? And you guys know Jonah rebelled, and he was disobedient, and so God gave him some free swimming lessons. <laughs> swimming lessons are expensive anyways, and so he went swimming in the ocean. He laid his own life down. Remember the storm arose there on the ship? He's like, you know what? This storm's for me, my own rebellion, so I'm going to throw myself, I'm going to die, just like Jesus would lay his life down for rebellion and for the storm. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Jonah, but this, this sign... And Jonah would go into the water and kill himself, but God preserved him, buried him there in the belly of a whale. Okay, he was swallowed by a great fish. And you guys know this, that whales are huge. The full-grown size of a whale's tongue is the same equivalent as 36 full-grown men. It's big. A heart of a blue whale, full-grown, is the same size as a VW bug. Just its heart. Its arteries could pass basketballs through, through this whale. So Jonah had a little three-room condo there for a couple of days, you know, and he was barfed out onto the, ocean, onto the shore there in Nineveh. He's kind of barfed out. And you guys know the acidic, you know, he, he would be a completely hairless, white, bleached, albino-looking kind of naked guy. He found himself an SBC hoodie and maybe some pants. Read the story. And God says, go to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh. Now, crazy thing. In Nineveh, did you know that they actually worshipped a half-fish, half-man deity? Okay, that's who they worshipped. And there was in their folklore and in their, their literature that one day this guy will appear to us and tell us what to do. And so here comes Jonah walking up, like right out of a fishy's belly, you know. And they're like, get there! You know, God just had the whole thing laid out. Jonah's heart completely hardened, unlike Jesus. I'm a greater than Jonah is here. And Jonah preaches this crummy sermon, and all of the people of Nineveh repent. Okay, it was a huge city. It took three days to circumnavigate. It was so big. Over 100,000 people, kiddos involved, and then parents and all that. It's all listed there in Jonah. 
And Jesus says, don't you guys remember the crazy revival, the greatest revival in the history of the world, a whole nation that was so poisoned in their minds. They were evil. And when they heard the simple words of Jonah, there was no love. Jonah wasn't committed to them. Jonah wasn't happy to be there. Jonah didn't want to be there. Even when they did repent, Jonah had a pity party about it. You guys know the last chapter. He's mad about it. And Jesus is like, you guys, the people of Nineveh, they, they, did, it, they did it right under way worse circumstances. And then he goes on to talk about this queen of Sheba who rises from the south and came to Solomon. And I can't read it to you. First Kings chapter 10, verses 6 and 7 are amazing, though. Read it on your own. First Kings 10, 6 and 7. And it's after Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon. She looks at all he has, asks him a bunch of questions, has lunch with him, and then she shakes her head. She says, it's crazy. She said, everything that I heard about you, I didn't believe until I saw it with my own eyes. And now it is more than true. I believe it. I believe. I've, I've seen it now. I believe. And Jesus says, guys, Sheba, she came from many, many miles away, and she saw, and she heard, and she believed, and I'm here, and I'm greater than Solomon. And you guys don't believe? You want more signs? I've given to you signs. And then he goes on to give this illustration of light. That the light, man, when it comes on, it, if your eye works, if you can see, when the light comes on, and you know how this works. You turn the light on, you're like, ooh, don't step on that. And you adjust. But if your eye's broken and the light comes on, you're stepping on it all. You don't see nothing. And Jesus says, guys, I am the light. And I'm here. Verse 35, and we'll be ending with this thought. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. What? A warning. Take heed that the light which is in you, where's the light? The light is Jesus. Take heed that that light that's here, right here, there's nothing else to be seen, nothing else to be explained. It's all in front of you. Take heed that that's not darkness. Make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do. Matter of fact, I'm just going to read to you out of the book of John. You can write it in your notes. Chapter 3, I've referenced it once already today. I want you to get this. This is the heart of Jesus. He said this in verse 17. The most famous verse in the world is John 3, 16. I don't need to read it. You guys all know it. The next verse is this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes. Everyone say believes. Sheba believed. The Ninevites believed. Jesus is looking at people saying, do you believe? Well, do something great for me. Okay, and Jesus did many, many great things. And then Jesus would then say, blessed are those who hear and do the word of God. That's how we started this portion of scripture. And there were those who said, well, we'll do that. We'll do that if you do one more thing for us. And Jesus says, he who believes, verse 18, in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe. Interesting, by the way. See, the whole world is mad at God and Christianity and religion because we can't do all these things. Religion is can't do this, can't do that, got to do this, got to do that. And there are those rules for our own safety. Okay, there's obvious commands, direction. Yet, the message of Jesus and the cross is not be a better person and stop doing bad things. That is not the primary message. The primary message is believe in Jesus. And a real belief in Jesus, an acceptance of who he is, what he's done, and what he taught, will lead to then not doing the junk and doing the stuff you should do. The real issue, though, is do you believe? Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their boogers were big. No, no, because, <laughs> kind of, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't want to come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. This is the condemnation. It's coming to the world. And again, most of you here are saved. You're saved. Like you're the 9 a.m. crowd. Like, right on. Good job. But you're a rebel. You're a rebel. And the, and the Lord has spoken to you out of his word. Enough. You have enough light. There's so much light in your life. Like you know what to do. You know how to treat your spouse. You know how to treat your kids. You know how to live your life. You know. But there's this battle. Well, I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll repent of that. I'll stop being a weirdo once the Lord. Da, 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 da. And he would say, the what? Until I did the what? 
No, I'm enough. I'm enough for you to get fired up. I'm enough for you. Jesus is real right now. This will activate everything. It's already done. The tomb's empty. The tomb's empty. There's nothing else to be weighed out except what your response is going to be. And, and I'm going to, uh, nope, don't have time. Uh, I would say this. I do have time. I'll make time. I'll make time. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, same portion of scripture, Jesus says one other thing, or should I say it this way, Matthew records one more part that Luke does not. And this is it. He expands, Jesus does, when he refers to Jonah. He says, as Jonah, he didn't say it here, was in the belly of the whale, three days, three nights, so too the sign, the sign you're looking for, will be that the Son of Man is in the heart of the earth, three days and three nights. That is, the, that is the sign. Lord, give me a sign. Okay, I'll give you one sign. Just one. The resurrection from the dead. That's it. That's enough. That's the point. That's all that matters. That is both proof of what he said. It is the payment for what we need. It is the bedrock of our foundation. It is everything that we build on. The resurrection. He could have pulled chicken feathers out of the air and put them back in the air. He could have done all kinds of stuff. Worthless. Everything else other than what he did on the cross, in the tomb, and through the resurrection is what matters. Everything else is worthless. You could catch a thousand people slain in the spirit, or whatever you want to call it. It's worthless, worthless compared to the worth that is the cross. And here Jesus, he could have done a thousand, I'm going to the cross. That's all that you need, evil generation. That's all that you, I'm here for you. Just like Jonah was there for the Ninevites, pulling him in tight. I love you. I love you so much, I'm not going to pull chicken feathers from the air. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die. Because I'm the only person in the entire world that can do that. No other spiritual leader, no guru, no charlatan, no faker, no phony could do any of that for you. Because that's all I'm going to do. My greatest deed is your greatest need, the cross. That, my friends, will help you through the rest of this Sunday, all of Monday, all of Tuesday, Wednesday, if, we're, if we get it, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and to the next Sunday, the cross. It's enough. I'll give you one sign, guys. The sign of Jonah. That as he was three days, so too I. I shall die, but I shan't stay dead. I'll rise from the dead. This is the great news. Did you know that you can be free today? You can be free of all of your fears. All of your weaknesses have been dealt with at the cross. Crushed in the tomb. All of them. All of your sins that you've committed. Your present battles right now. Your future temptations. Your past mistakes. Did you know that they can all be dealt with at the cross of Jesus? You can be free right now. If you, believe, if you, have, you have to believe though. You have to believe in that one sign that is the cross of Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in a closing song, and we are going to respond at the table of communion. And I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and pray with me right now as the communion elements are brought out. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name right now as we prepare our hearts and minds to come to the table, to get up out of our chairs, to walk down the aisles, to stand in line, to grab the bread, to grab the cup, and to pull it out, to have that be the one and the only sign that changes everything. Your death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. That's what makes it all okay. That's what helps us to deal with our stuff, to be pulled in, to stop being rebels to trust that our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for and dealt with, and we can now trust in you for all things. And Jesus, we ask for your help in even doing this. Lord, we believe, help though our unbelief. If you're here this morning and you want to give your heart nearer to the Lord, maybe for the first time, but maybe just because you're a mess and you know it, and you're a believer and you just want to believe, and you've been holding out. You've been waiting for your marriage to get better before you read the Bible. You've been waiting for signs. You've been waiting for something to happen before you go all in. You're just kind of a squirrel. You're kind of running around making up your own things. And you want to repent today and say, Lord, it's enough. 
You went to the cross for me. It's enough. Lord, would you take my life 100%? Would you raise your hand up right now and just make a commitment to the Lord? Based on that one sign, raise up your hand right now to him in Jesus' name. Lord, you see these hands, these rebel hearts, and I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that as the tomb has been vacated, that their hearts, Lord, would be inhabited by you right now in Jesus' name. Put your hand up nice and high. You want the Lord to take over in your life. Lord, I thank you that you can do this because your death, burial, and resurrection secures and finishes all things. You can put your hands down. Lord, as we come to the table now, we examine our own hearts. We too are an evil generation. Right here looking for stuff, trying to figure things out when you've already given to us all we need. So bless us, Lord. May we be the most blessed people in the entire world because there's nothing that hasn't yet been provided for us. It's all here. We're good. The boogers have been removed. We can smile. I pray in Jesus' name we'd believe you, we'd love you, we'd honor you. We do what we do now, proclaiming your death until you return, examining ourselves together as one in Jesus' name. And everybody said...